0: Hello, I'm Henry. And I'm Trey. And welcome to Marvelous, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Where we go through
1: the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe show by show, movie by movie, in order of release.
0: And this week, we will be going over Guardians of the Galaxy! But not alone, because we have our first guest, the wonderful, the amazing, Aaron Smith.
2: Hello, I'm so excited to be recording.
0: Yay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so we've mentioned Erin a few times in the past as part of our trio in college, but we finally got her on our show! So, Erin, how about you tell us your Marvel origin story?
2: Sure. So, I saw my first Marvel movie uh, with the first Iron Man movie back in high school, and at the time, I didn't love it. I actually found Tony Stark really irritating, and the fact that he started as a weapons dealer really off-putting. But that was just my first kind of dive into Marvel land. And then from there, I didn't really get too, too into superheroes until college, actually, with you, Trey. And we started watching Smallville and just seeing the origin of Superman. Granted, that's not Marvel, but it is kind of what sparked my larger interest in superheroes. And then kind of it spiraled from there. Just you, me and Henry and all of us just... Going to see Marvel movies together and talking about it, and what really threw me over the edge for Marvel was the first Captain America movie, which is one of my favorites, and I love Captain America. I'm a big fan of his, and I just really enjoyed his movie.
1: Yeah. Now we're uneven for Team Iron Man and Team Captain America. No!
2: It's just like Civil War.
1: Yes, we win. (laughs) (laughs) We're not there yet. Sorry. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, good origin story. Smallville is a great way to get into superheroes. Henry, you should get on board.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Debatable. Debatable. You haven't seen
0: it. Shut up.
1: (laughs) I don't care. I'm not watching a 12-season long TV show about Superman.
0: 10. Oh, I
1: thought it was 12. Anyways, (laughs) Trey, how about you give us the IMDb synopsis of
0: the movie? Okay, the IMDb synopsis for Guardians of the Galaxy is... A group of intergalactic criminals are forced to work together to stop a fanatical warrior from taking control of the universe.
1: That's it? That was short, but
0: true. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) What do you think, Erin? Do you think that's a good synopsis?
2: I mean, it's fine. It's not very detailed, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Are Rocket and Groot actually, like, criminals? Yeah. In this movie? They're bounty hunters. Well, Rocket has escaped from prison multiple times. Never mind.
0: Plus, that was why they got caught in the first place, because they're like, look at all these criminal charges.
1: I was thinking they got arrested in the beginning just for causing public unrest when they were hunting after Peter Quill in public. But yeah, never mind.
0: Right after they got caught, they go through all of their records. And I'm guessing you guys didn't pause the screen, but they showed like the digital records that they have. And they had like 15 counts of breaking out of prison, theft, like stuff like that. I have before, but I didn't this time.
2: Yeah.
1: But I do really appreciate that scene, especially because they say that Peter Quill has a universal translator, which is really important for movies set in space, because I never liked the idea of, oh, everyone in space speaks English, apparently.
0: Yeah, I like that too. And I wrote down a couple things about that scene, but I feel like we should wait till we get there.
1: (laughs) We should. (laughs) So to give some context for the movie, since this is the first side movie, there's not all that much to say because it's a completely new territory. It doesn't really harken back to any of the previous films all that much. The only real bit of context that there is is that we have the Collector again in this movie who was in an after credit scene of Thor 2 when he was receiving the ether from the Asgardians, which... It's kind of funny because the Asgardians gave it to him because they didn't want two Infinity Stones on Asgard. But in this movie, they put the two Infinity Stones together in the collector's collection.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Aether's not even mentioned in this movie, but theoretically it's somewhere in his collection. So it's definitely curious.
1: (laughs) It's a good thing the Power Gem didn't set off a chain reaction with it when it kaboomed. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: It must have been its casing. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I'm sure he took care of it.
0: So, Erin, what were your first thoughts the very first time you watched this movie?
2: Well, the first time I was just really impressed with the soundtrack and the fact that this movie seems a little funnier and seems to have a different sort of vibe than any of the other Marvel movies. And maybe that's partly to do the fact that it's kind of just set in its own sort of separate space universe compared to some of the others. But yeah, it's one of the funniest Marvel movies. That's really what struck me. What about you guys?
1: This movie kind of caught me off guard because I didn't doubt its potential. Because at this point, I was full on board with Marvel and trusted them to be as creative as they needed to make whatever kind of movie they wanted. But the concept of a talking raccoon and tree thing still seemed kind of off-putting before I actually went to see it. But once I did, it was just so hilarious and I loved it.
2: See, that's interesting. I didn't know that much about it beforehand other than that Chris Pratt was in it. And I only knew that because I was watching Parks and Rec and they sort of had to explain his new fit body in Parks and Rec, which was him getting in shape for <laughs> oh, this yeah. movie, which uh, was exciting because I love him in Parks and Rec.
1: Yeah, he's amazing in Parks and Rec.
0: The way that you said I was full on board with Marvel, I thought you meant the other kind of board and I was really confused for a second. <laughs> oh, no.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it was really funny, too, because, yeah, I only knew Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec. Then seeing him all buffed up for this movie was just weird, but cool.
2: Yeah, it's funny. In Parks and Rec, they explain it by his character just stops drinking beer, which is just hilarious to me.
1: Yeah, I actually stopped watching Parks and Rec before I got to that point. I need to finish it. But how well he fit into the Marvel Universe caught me off guard, and he's great.
2: Yeah, he did a great job.
1: How about you, Trey?
0: When this movie came out, I had no idea that it was even Marvel. I was just like, that trailer looks dumb. I'm not seeing that. And (laughs) it wasn't until a friend back home told me that it was good and we ended up renting it for a movie night that I was like, huh, this is actually a good movie.
1: (laughs) That's funny because it was during the summer, so I wasn't there to tell you about it. And I was really happy because I got some of my friends from my camp, which is where I was working at the time, to come watch it with me. And both of the friends I went with usually hate superhero movies, and they both loved it.
0: Yeah, this definitely seems to be the movie that casual superhero fans or non-superhero fans get on board for.
1: Yeah, and just to give a little bit more info about when this movie came out, it made so much money. (laughs) Like $800 or something?
0: Something like that.
1: Yeah, as this weird space crazy movie about a talking raccoon and tree, and that guy from Parks and Rec... It's amazing that Marvel was able to pull this off.
2: Where does that place it in the hierarchy of how much Marvel movies have each made?
0: I mean, now or back then?
2: (laughs) I mean, I guess either one. I'm curious back then, but...
0: Because back then, Avengers was at the top, and then it was Iron Man 3, and then Winter Soldier... Wait, Winter Soldier didn't make that much, did it?
1: I don't think it made as much as Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not sure... But there's four billion dollar makers now, both Avengers movies, Iron Man 3 and Civil War, oh, five, and Black Panther. So it's not up there, but at the time, this was huge, especially for an unknown property.
0: And I think Thor Ragnarok just beat the first one. Probably. And Spider-Man did as well. Oh, yeah.
1: Spider-Man didn't beat a billion, did it? No. That's what happens when you have two reboots.
0: It doesn't break a billion?
1: yeah, that movie deserved to do better than it did, even though it did really well.
0: Yeah. It's also funny because this is the first thing I ever saw Chris Pratt in, because this was before I watched Parks and Rec. And... Oh, really?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because Aaron, you got Trey into Parks and Rec, right?
2: Uh, I've tried several times.
0: She tried, and I was like, ew, no, go away. And then <laughs> <laughs> eventually I watched it anyway and ended up loving it after, like, a season, so... <laughs> but i didn't even like chris pratt in this movie at first what i mean he was he's star lord okay i thought chris pratt was the most overrated thing ever because i saw him in this and i saw him in jurassic world which i hated and i was like why do people like him so much blah 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 and then i watched parks and rec and after that i was like oh i love him now That's one thing I like
1: about all of Marvel is that we get these actors from all sorts of mediums coming into the universe and seeing them perform together. is just great. Like this movie also has Karen Gillian from Doctor Who, who is Nebula. And she was just this like spunky little sidekick in Doctor Who. And now she's this evil android daughter of Thanos with some dark past. And it's so cool to see her in a different role. And I love her in this movie.
0: I don't know why you love her in this movie, but yes. I like Nebula. (laughs) (laughs) Get over it. (laughs) She's literally evil cyborg. Anyways. (laughs) She's interesting. She's shallow and one dimensional in this movie. Whatever, Whatever. Whatever.
2: (laughs) Oh, you don't like Nebula?
0: Only in this movie we're talking about. So in this movie, what do you think?
2: I find her position more sympathetic, but I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. I don't dislike her.
0: I've never been a fan of the whole evil cyborg like she's very much one note like I am just evil so she's literally
1: the same thing as Gamora just didn't switch sides yet. They're both people robbed from their families, modified by Thanos.
0: You see a lot of Gamora's depth with her wanting to actually save the world and turning on Thanos and all this stuff. And Nebula's just like, I don't care if the world dies. I won't be part of it. I don't care. I'll kill you. I don't care. I'm evil. That's all you see of Nebula. They're not the same.
1: <laughs> She's doing literally anything to escape Thanos.
2: You get hints at their relationship because you see Gamora describe her relationship with both Thanos and Ronin. And then you hear Thanos describe Gamora as his favorite daughter. And you see Nebula kind of react a little bit to that. So they don't unpack her character too, too much. But you get hints of where she's coming from.
0: I agree. You you do get hints of she is a jealous person who is doing evil.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A jealous (laughs) person is doing evil.
1: Anyway, so we can get into the rest of the movie. How about what are your thoughts now?
0: I think it's still really good. After seeing all the other comedies that Marvel's come out with today and comparing it to this one, I really like that this one, even though it's a comedy, it still balances depth and emotion with the comedy because I feel like in the moments where bad things happen, they allow you to digest it emotionally instead of off-putting it with a joke, which some other ones do. For Ragnarok. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> It's okay. I still like those movies. It's just like a minor flaw that I have with them. But yes, that is how I feel. Erin, what about you?
2: I mean, I'm biased. This is one of my top three favorite Marvel movies. I enjoy watching it. It makes me laugh every time. And I just love the soundtrack. I have my own Spotify playlist from like Awesome Mix (laughs) Volume 1 and I also combined it with you know Awesome Mix Volume 2 from the second movie and it's just fantastic. It makes me happy to watch this film and It's a thorough plot. It sort of has a very concrete middle, beginning, or beginning, middle, and end. It, you know, ties up all the loose ends. It's well done. It's clean. And it's enjoyable to watch.
0: Yeah. For sure.
1: Quick side note. We talked about how well the movie did. But we can also mention that the album for the movie did super well, too. And all these older songs spiked in iTunes. Yeah. Which was hilarious and awesome.
2: An interesting side note, when you asked me to come on the podcast for this episode, I looked up some of the music and how they came up with it. And every single song in the first Guardians of the Galaxy is from the 1970s with the exception of two. I think it's I Want You Back by the Jackson Five and Ain't No Mountain High Enough, which are both from the 60s. But it's like fits within the timeline that Guardians would have taken place, obviously. But it's good that the movie or the producers at least stuck with the setting that the movie was taking place in.
1: Exactly. Marvel's always been really great about the timeline and making sure they don't mess up with that. And as far as my opinions of the movie are now is, yeah, I still love it. It's still a great movie. (laughs) Like you guys said, it definitely holds up really well.
0: For sure. So I guess we should get into the movie.
1: So I guess the first thing that we should talk about is just the opening scene of Peter as a child witnessing his mom die, which is really upsetting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of hard to watch. (laughs) I love that this comedy just, like, starts you on a super sad note, too. (laughs) It's like, feel for this character, and now we'll have fun.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was really sad.
0: Yeah.
1: Then he runs away because he's sad and in pain, and then he gets abducted. (laughs) If I didn't know anything about this movie, like, I didn't even know the title, I would just be in shock right now.
2: You don't expect it. Your mom dies, you run outside, and you get abducted. It's a rough day.
0: Not a great day. He definitely had the worst childhood possible, probably. Or, I guess, not possible. But (laughs) he had a pretty bad
1: one. Yeah. Well, I mean, Yondu threatening to eat him, like, every day probably wasn't great.
0: No. And that's one of the things that bothers me later, is how much people talk about Yondu being a good father figure. But...
1: You see bits and pieces of it through the movie of him like actually not caring that much about what he does, like when he messes up, like when he smiles at the end when he got tricked.
0: I agree that there are things that like you can tell that he cares about Peter, but it's definitely not. It's not like a good father,
2: (laughs) not a good father, but he's kind of like an M&M where he's got like this hard outer shell. and He's kind of like a marshmallow in the middle. Because you see it a little bit where he's got, like, he likes the little figurines that you see later yeah, in the movie, which yeah, yeah. is hilarious, but you kind of get little insights into his character, because he never does eat Peter. He, he loves him.
0: Oh, there you go. He, d- he didn't eat him, therefore he's a great guy. Oh,
2: I'm not saying he's a good father by any means, probably a terrible father, but I think that there's some genuine care there.
1: There is. <laughs> Plus, he has to, like, hide his true feelings, because he's also the captain of the Ravagers, so he has to act really tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I like how when we get to the present and we have our first scene with Peter Quill as Star Lord on a planet searching for the Infinity Stone, it starts really dark and ominous, and then he puts on his music and just starts dancing and kicking the little, like, rat dinosaurs. And then the title screen comes up, and you're like, oh, so this is what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. It perfectly sets the mood for the entire film. And it's just like, we're fun, we're cool. Moving on.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And they timed it really well, too, because there's a scene where it looks like Chris Pratt is, like, singing part of the song. So that was also very well done, the way that they sort of incorporated that.
1: Yeah, when he's using the rat dinosaur thing as a mic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hope they were playing the music while he was filming that so he could really get into it. (laughs) But yeah, like, the other thing that this scene really sets up well is Star-Lord's equipment So, like, you see his rocket boots and his, like, gravity grenade thingy. So you see that he has lots of cool tech, but he doesn't really use it all that well. What do you mean he doesn't use it all that well? He doesn't use the rocket boots very well. Why? The first time he used the rocket boots, he's, like, almost gonna fall. And then the next time, he, like, tumbles away when he uses them from a laying down position.
0: Yeah, but I don't think that was a reflection of he can't use it well. I think that was, uh, I'm in a hurry. I don't know. Not the first time. What happened then? He could barely use the rocket boots. He was, like, about to fall. Okay. Anyways,
1: yeah, he has cool gadgets. And also we see Korath have no idea who Peter Quill is, especially when he goes by his name Star-Lord, which is super silly, and I like that the movie points out how silly it is.
0: It is. And before Korath comes in, though, I actually wanted to talk about the power gem because we see it in this, like laser casing on this random abandoned planet and both Korath and Peter and Yondu as well all just apparently just learned where this was and came here to get it all at the same time and I'm like how did this stone get here and why didn't anybody ever know that it was here before or come to get it before this one moment
1: (laughs) well Quill and Yondu found out together and then Quill was just betraying Yondu but Korath I don't know When watching it the first time, it seemed like an alarm was being set off, and that's why Korath knew to come, but that doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, every other time I've watched this movie, I thought that Korath was there to defend him from taking it, but now I realize his spaceship landed because he was trying to get the stone for Ronin, which is a completely different thing.
1: I don't think it's that unreasonable that they both found out from the same source.
0: I mean, we don't know how they found out or why. I don't know. It's just like, it's very sudden, and I feel like it's like one flaw the film has or they could have shown why they both know to come here at this moment.
2: <laughs> That's a good point, but I think it's probably one of those small plot holes where you have to like do the suspended disbelief for the sake of the movie to be a cohesive plot.
1: Yeah, I don't even think it's a plot hole because it's just before the movie started, they figured out where it is. Go.
0: I wouldn't necessarily call it a plot hole. I just feel like it's something they could have easily explained and given cause to why this is all happening now
1: true and it's interesting because apparently no one knew what was inside of there except for thanos not even nebula and gamora
0: and not even ronan <laughs> yeah
1: so maybe thanos figured it out he requested for ronan to get it and Ronin leaked out the information somehow like someone on his crew leaked the information
0: that would be surprising if They could leak out the information to someone fast enough to get there before they get to it themselves.
1: They might not have been in a rush because they didn't think anyone else was going for it. Maybe they needed to get special equipment to remove it from that casing, which Peter Quill already had on him.
0: I like how we're fabricating our own backstory for this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Point is, there's reasonable ways it could have happened.
0: Yeah, I didn't say there wasn't. (laughs) But I do really like this scene and how cool it shows Peter Quill to be with all of his tech and gadgets of, like, taking out all the men that are in his way and getting away with the stone.
1: And also showing how goofy he is, like, how as soon as he gets in his starship, he runs it into a geyser. And then, like, after he escapes, this girl that he had a one-night stand in was just in his ship the entire time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I felt bad for her.
1: Me too. She was just looking for a good time, and now... (laughs) (laughs) She seemed pretty chill about it later.
2: She did. He was a douche, though. He forgot her name.
1: And that she was there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and that she was there.
1: They were probably trashed on some alien drugs and alcohol and had no idea what was
0: going on. Yeah. At least he was honest.
2: <laughs> That's true.
0: It was definitely funny, though it was hard for me to take it in and not feel like it was him being misogynist.
2: I definitely got that vibe a little bit, but yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is the first movie that we have with morally gray heroes. Like he isn't a like a,
0: it is it is
2: not
1: it no is not way. Iron Man Iron Man
2: Iron Man weapons dealer man.
1: You attacked right now. Okay, that's not what I meant. What I meant is Iron Man. For one, he started arm dealing. He was doing it for the government. He was in the right, even though he was doing it for money. It might seem morally gray, but I mean this guy. Literally does crimes and has been arrested and doesn't care about breaking the law, is what I meant. I can see where you guys are coming from, but he wasn't a criminal. He wasn't breaking laws until he started being a vigilante and using his Iron Man suit for good. As opposed to Peter Quill, who's a thief, who's been arrested multiple times and stuff like that. To the point where some Nova Corps soldiers just know him casually.
2: I mean, at the end of the day, though, Quill isn't trying to hurt people. He's just stealing. Whereas Iron Man was actively selling weapons that kill people.
1: He thought he was selling weapons to the American government to be used for good. And as soon as he figured out they weren't, he stopped immediately.
2: There could be a whole other political discussion. But he's still in the sale of weapons, which kill people.
1: (laughs) We should have had you on for Iron Man 1 and 2 because we (laughs) talked all about this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, on your point, I wanted to say that... Regardless of if he's a criminal or not, I think there's a difference between being a criminal and doing that to survive and how you treat people and women. Those are like different things.
1: Yeah. So anyways, we leave the planet. We have Quill interacting with Yondu and we find out that he used to work with them more and now he betrayed them. And then we're introduced to Ronin, who is our antagonist, who is a Cree anarchist, who is fighting against Xandar with everything he has, even though Xandar and the Kree just signed a peace treaty. So we get even more of the setting and context of the movie really fast. And this movie does a really good job of introducing everything really fast and really concisely so that you know everything about what's going on and why.
0: I also think it's a really interesting introduction to Ronan because... He's not given much depth as a villain, but it's not really a bad thing in this movie because there's so many characters to introduce us to and he serves like the perfect role in his role, but we also get to see like right away they adorn him with all of the Kree warrior stuff and all of his motivation and we also get introduced to Nebula and Gamora working for him. Oh yeah. And we learn that they are daughters of Thanos and that's about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Ronan isn't particularly a strong villain, but this movie is so character-driven it hardly matters. We care way more about the Guardians and what they're doing on their adventures rather than Ronan himself. He's just there to be an end goal of the movie.
0: I'm not particularly excited about the fact that they're bringing him back for Captain Marvel. Both Ronan and Karath will be back in Captain Marvel and we're going to see more of their backstory, I assume. I don't know why that's necessary because they're pretty shallow villains and I don't really care to see more of them. Maybe they'll be given a second chance and have more depth
1: and that would make them better, which I would like.
0: I don't see a reason to do that, but maybe it'll be amazing and I'll be like, well, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be such a pessimist.
2: But on the thought about Ronan, though, I think it's pretty clear throughout the movie that like the big bad is Thanos and that Ronan is just sort of here for this singular arc of this movie, which is fine. He serves his purpose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's also ridiculously strong since he's able to handle an Infinity Stone. Indeed. Which surprises me that a single Kree warrior could do.
1: I mean, I'm assuming he's the best of the best. He also could be modified, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, I guess even like an optimal Kree warrior is still a mortal race. So it surprises me that he can handle it, but I don't know. Maybe I just don't know enough about the Kree.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you.
0: Yeah, so then we come to the action on Xandar where we get to meet Rocket and Groot and Rocket's just mocking everyone in sight.
1: Including Stan Lee and his cameo as an old man creeping on a younger lady. To be honest, I don't know if it's creeping on her, but Rocket sees it that way.
0: Yeah, and then we get the amazing fight between Gamora trying to take the orb from Quill and Rocket and Groot trying to capture Quill and getting in Gamora's way, and then just an all-out brawl between all of them where we get to see each of their unique skill sets, Gamora being super martial artsy, and Quill with all of his gadgets, and Groot being Groot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And finishing it off with Rocket being Rocket with his giant gun. Yeah. Like I was saying before, they do such a great job of very quickly introducing us to these characters and their personalities and their motivations. Like, Rocket and Groot just want money. Gamora will do anything to get the orb, and Quill just wants to be free. And we also see how strong they are, since they can all pretty much take out each other.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty fantastic scene.
2: Yeah, it was funny. I will say it made me so sad when Gamora starts, like, hacking at Groot. I know he's fine, but... I was like, leave Groot alone!
1: (laughs) I know, he's such a gentle giant. Yeah. Sometimes.
0: Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. And then we come to the uh, the exposition scene of having them all pass while explaining who they are. And I'm sorry, now that I've seen Suicide Squad, every time I see this scene, it just reminds me of Suicide Squad. Yeah, because it's inspired it. <laughs> Probably. But it was done right. Yeah. Exactly. It's because they have a very similar exposition scene in Suicide Squad, but it's before you meet anyone. So it's just like, let's explain who all of these characters are in a very bad way that you don't care. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and this is so much better. And it's still funny.
0: Yeah. And I personally don't think this exposition scene was necessary since we already met all of them, but it is what it is.
1: It revealed the universal translator, and that's important to me.
2: And I did like that they explained that Gamora was basically born and bred to be a human weapon.
1: She wasn't born to be. She was kidnapped as a child. Kidnapped
2: and then basically manufactured to become a human weapon.
1: Yeah, Yeah, because like, although Nebula looks way more like an android, Gamora was also surgically changed.
0: Which I didn't even know until this watch, to be honest, because I was reading the enhancements on the screen, and apparently she has a cybernetic skeleton and ocular and respiratory implants, enhanced neurosystem and regeneration. And I'm like, I did not know any of that. Well, now you do. Yeah.
1: They also have the great line of saying that Groot is a houseplant slash muscle for Rocket, (laughs) which I love.
0: yeah. And one other thing that I never knew before is that Gamora is apparently the last of her race.
1: Yeah, because Thanos killed the rest.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that.
1: I'm pretty sure they're going to go into it for Infinity War.
2: Are she and Nebula? They didn't have, I guess, the same mother then, but they still consider themselves sisters?
0: They're adopted sisters through Thanos.
2: Got it. Yeah,
1: Thanos kidnaps and modifies and powers up people to be basically his subordinates.
0: Yeah, I couldn't read the name of her people on the screen Or the name of Gamora's people, but it said last survivor of Zehebird people or something.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Rolls off the tongue there.
0: Right?
1: (laughs) Well, we'll learn more about them in Infinity War. Hopefully. It's in the trailer. But yeah, I like the scene. I thought it did a good job of introducing us to minor details of the characters that you might not pick up on a first watch because you can pause and see. But then we move on to the prison. The kiln and get introduced to our last guardian
0: Drax. Yeah, how do you guys feel about Drax? <laughs> I love Drax. <laughs>
2: I love Drax.
0: <laughs> okay. Good. So it's just me. <laughs> I don't I don't like him. At don't all. hate on Drax. I I just think he's the dumbest character ever and he really annoys me.
2: Oh, I just disagree. I think his very literal interpretation of things people say is so funny. And it makes complete sense. If he's not from Earth, he wouldn't get a lot of those Earth sort of idioms and jokes. And I just think it's so funny.
0: That's totally fair. I, I, yeah. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> also,
1: something that they do really well in this movie is, although there's a lot of humor, there's also a lot of depth. And we see with Rocket and Drax, How usually they're really goofy characters, but they both have really dark backstories. Like later on when we're in nowhere and they're at the bar and Rocket is freaking out about being called vermin. And in this prison scene, when you see all like the weird bolts and stuff in his back, you see how hurt he is by the fact that he's just someone's random test subject. And most people see him as just an animal that they want to get rid of. And he never asked for any of this. And he just wants to be accepted as like a normal person. And Drax, you see, like, hiding his pain through violence all the time. And when he actually opens up about it, you see that he's just a father who has lost everything.
2: That does lead into what I think is one of the funniest scenes in the movie when he's threatening to kill Gamora and Quill is trying to get him to stop. And he had like, you know, taken one of the other prisoners knives and was holding it up to her throat, you know, about to kill her. (laughs) So Quill finally calms him down and he's fine and stuff. But then he just like looks to the camera. He's like, I'm keeping this knife.
1: (laughs) This is a knife knife. I'm keeping it.
2: That was my favorite knife. That was my favorite (laughs) knife. I think that scene is so funny.
1: (laughs) It's great. I love it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty hilarious.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I really like how quickly and how deeply these characters get developed.
0: I mean, I think that's the best way to write comedic characters is giving them tragic backstories because then that's what makes them not care about societal norms and just be complete a-holes to the point that it's funny. You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But we do get the cool prison breakout scene you get to see how intelligent Rocket is with figuring out how to get out of there and turning the artificial gravity off and...
1: And using the drones to propel the security guard tower thing.
0: And all of these criminal misfits decide to band together because Gamora has a buyer for the orb that Quill no longer has. Quill has the orb. Rocket just wants money and is willing to take the orb proceeds instead of turning in Quill. And Groot goes along with him. And Drax wants to kill Ronan, who will come for Gamora. So... There's all their motivations. It's a nice quick way to
1: get them all together. Also, it's really funny during the breakout that Rocket asks for the guy's leg and Quill actually gets it. I thought that was really funny because at first Rocket was planning to like slowly do this plan and then Groot ruins everything. So getting the leg really quickly was Peter's like crazy mission during this whole scene. And it didn't matter at all because Rocket's an asshole.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I find it pretty interesting that I like this movie so much, because I don't really share the same (laughs) sense of humor as any of the characters. Like, Rocket's humor is so off-putting to me, and Drax's I hate. Um, But for some reason, watching all of these things, because they're so different than what I watch normally, I'm like, yeah, I like this, even though it's not my type of humor.
2: (laughs) Interesting.
1: That's a funny way to look at it. I wouldn't say I'm like any of the protagonists in this movie, but I definitely like them and I definitely like their chemistry on screen.
0: I also like their chemistry and there are definitely some humorous moments that I like. And I think I'm more in line with Quill and Gamora's humor than the others. But yeah.
1: Yeah. One thing to mention before their great escape is that Quill stays behind when they'd already almost escaped to get his Walkman and everyone is just so confused why he did something so stupid, but obviously it's so important to him because it was a gift from his mom and music was a super important connection
0: between them. Yeah. Emotional heartstrings tug.
2: Yeah. And it's what anchors us to the movie because that's how the movie starts, is him with his Walkman listening to it. It sort of gives his character in the whole movie some of the emotional depth. So it makes sense that he goes after it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Can we just go into best innovation now? Because the soundtrack is mine. And it's exactly like around what Aaron just said. I really like the way the soundtrack is used to amplify the plot and the character backstory and like emotions and the tie between Quill and his mom and also elevate the whole mood of the film into like this fun journey that it takes us on. That's the most unique thing that I think this movie brought to the forefront. And it was done really well.
1: Yeah, and even beyond the classic music, the actual theme of the Guardians of the Galaxy is just really well done. And I like that music a lot.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you want to go into your best innovations as well.
1: I mean, I can do mine because mine is just the setting. Just everything with space, everything with how wacky and crazy this world is, is amazing. And being a Marvel fan now versus then, it seems crazy to me that we were once stuck on only Earth. And... Finally being free of that limitation is great.
0: Yeah, I agree. What about you, Aaron?
2: Mine were two. It was the music and the humor, which I think kind of tied together to make this movie stand out because they both contribute, like you were saying, to sort of like the lighter mood that the movie has. The music is truly unique. None of the other Marvel movies really have anything that comes close. And then, yeah, the sense of humor. It just, it's refreshing and it's fun.
1: I feel like I should mention one more thing that's kind of important is just females in this movie being a new innovation. Because before this movie, the only real protagonist we had that was a woman was Black Widow. We had other major characters like Pepper and Peggy and Maria Hill, but no one has compared to Gamora. We also have a villain in Nebula, even though there's that villain in Iron Man 3. I don't even remember her name because she's forgettable because they kill her in five seconds. This is the first movie that really opens up female main characters in Marvel.
2: Do you mean like a female fighter? Because I'm thinking Peggy Carter was a pretty strong sort of female role, but she was also ultimately one of more of a side character. And then a lot of the other women are sort of love interests like Jane or Pepper.
1: Yeah, I mean, a main character, a fighter, a hero or villain. Peggy also was more of a one and done kind of character. Sure, she's in Captain America too. And later on, she got her own TV show, but... I'm only talking about movies right now. It just isn't the same in my eyes as Gamora and Nebula. And this is just the start because next movie we get Scarlet Witch and more and more and more.
2: Yeah, I agree. Besides Black Widow, who is... But even Black Widow is more of a side character early on.
1: Exactly. I agree. And this is the movie that really brings women to the forefront way more. And also has them in roles of power more like Nova Prime is a woman.
0: I agree about Gamora I don't agree about Nebula. (laughs) So saying women for this movie is a little questionable to me, but yes, there is at least one strong woman.
1: It's mainly Gamora being the main one, but I want to point out Nebula since she is more of an antihero, not just a pure villain. And she's in more movies after this one. And not as an old person with Alzheimer's. Anyways, before (laughs) we got into this... uh, Anyways, before we got into this whole offshoot conversation about our best innovations in this movie, I did want to talk about how Yondu and Quill talk about how Quill is afraid of going back to Earth. Because he makes it clear that Quill could go back to Earth anytime he wanted to. He has his own spaceship. He knows how to get there. He's just afraid of going back to Earth and doesn't really care all that much because this is the world he knows now. And all of his connections to Earth are just gone. Because the only thing connecting him to Earth was his mom, who's now dead. He didn't have any friends, or we don't know about that. But he was bullied. I'm not sure about his relationship with his grandpa, but he probably doesn't care that much. And his grandpa's probably dead by now since it's been 26 years. Anyways, I just like that they explain why he never
0: went back to Earth. Did they actually explain it? Because I think you can read into it everything you just said. But I never had that thought until you just said it. I think that's the reason why they have that conversation in the movie. What conversation?
1: Yandu saying that Quill is afraid of going to Earth.
0: Well, based on what you just said, I agree. Though I think it might also be tied to a fear thing. The same way that he hasn't opened his mom's gift until now. Because that was where he lost his mom and he hasn't been back there since that day. And he also has no other ties there.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So, the next scene we come to in the movie is... The big cameo from Thanos, which is the first real appearance we've had from him ever.
1: Does this count as a cameo? It's like an actual, like, scene and conversation.
0: I don't know. I've seen people call it a cameo because he's not actually, like, a main... I don't know. I think They're like, Thanos has had more cameos than Stan Lee at this point, which is not real, but...
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess he could, but I mean, you see him, like, video chatting with Ronan later on in the movie also, like... He's not in the movie all that much, and his ominous presence hangs over the whole thing, so I wouldn't say it's just
0: a cameo. That wasn't the point of my statement. Sure, yes, whatever, not a cameo. (laughs) (laughs) My point being that he's like the overarching big bad, but this is the first actual appearance he's had, aside from his short cameo at the end of Avengers being like... (laughs) Actually, I think he just smiled. (laughs) Because his minion was like... To confront the humans is to court death, and Thanos smiles, that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: So, yeah, this is his first, like, real engagement in any sort of plot.
1: And I like him calling Ronan a child, and he cares nothing about his little desire to destroy an entire planet.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I will say I was, upon first watching this movie, because I never read any of the comics, so I don't know anything about Thanos. I understand that he's supposed to be sort of like this big, intimidating figure, but I'm, as a first-time viewer, not clear exactly how powerful or threatening he is. I guess in this movie, it makes it unclear just how threatening and powerful Thanos actually is.
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty funny that, like, he never leaves the chair the entire movie. And there was the whole meme of, when will he finally leave the chair? It's impressive that he can be as intimidating as he is while only sitting down.
2: Right. Because at this stage, what does he really have?
0: Yeah, we really don't know what his power set is at the moment. But they do say in this movie, when Ronan decides to betray Thanos, that Ronan is going against the most powerful being in the universe. So apparently... That's a big title, but that's yeah. what that's Thanos' title.
2: <laughs> but they say that, but I'm not seeing anything to back that claim up. That's the thing.
0: I know. I have no idea. Yeah. We should note that we're recording this before Infinity War, so we haven't actually seen his big powers yet. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why it's a whole lot to live up to, because they're definitely saying that he is the biggest person ever.
1: Yeah, and I'm really hoping in Infinity War they show a significant amount of his powers before he gets any of the stones so that you know why people are so afraid of him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'll at least show him getting a stone and using his powers to get a stone, so there's at least something. Yeah. Well, unless he already has one, I guess.
1: Well, anyways, listeners of the podcast will already know what we think about this. Since we're recording this early because we're gonna rush out our Infinity War episode as fast as possible, which again, you already know because you've probably listened to it. Anyways, our heroes go to nowhere in order to get to the collector because he is the one who's going to buy the Infinity Stone. Which is interesting because we don't really know what his motivations are for collecting all the Infinity Stones. It could just be literally he's the collector, he wants to collect everything, but we see that he's a really evil person and has slaves and collects life forms, including, I believe, a dark elf from Thor the Dark World, and maybe he wants to use them for some villainous actions and maybe not? He just wants them? I don't know. I feel like collecting all the Infinity Stones is a really dangerous thing to do because you're going to be the target of a lot of bad people, especially Thanos.
0: Yeah
2: but then theoretically you would have the power to defend yourself.
1: Yeah, but most people can't wield them. This is true. Fair. But the Collector (laughs) is some ancient being, so he probably could. Why do you think he has a Dark Elf? Because you see this white-skinned alien in a cage, the one that the pink girl is watching when they first introduced the Collector in this movie. And I think it's a Dark Elf, but I'm not sure. I don't know any white-skinned races in the MCU other than Dark Elves.
0: If that was a Dark Elf, then I missed that. Yeah, I'm not sure. But if it is a Dark Elf, then it would be the last one in existence since their race has been wiped out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as far as I know.
0: Backtracking a step, I did want to touch on Nowhere itself, because Gamora describes it as the severed head of an ancient celestial being that they are mining for its rare resources. And I would love to know this backstory, because we don't know that much about celestial beings in this universe. And I'm like... Are they gods? Are they just like very large (laughs) beings? Apparently you can kill one.
1: This is hard to talk about without having seen Infinity War because we don't know if they're going to be introduced yet or not. Probably not. And as far as they've hinted about phase four, it seems like we might finally see them because they're going to expand the reaches of the universe even farther. So hopefully in phase four, maybe even in Guardians 3, we'll learn more about them. Even though I honestly don't expect to anytime soon.
0: Well, hopefully, because I'm very curious what this means.
1: Anyways, like I was saying before, we get more information about the tragic past of Rocket and Drax in this scene before they get to the Collector. We also get an example of Groot being a gentle giant when he gives a flower to one of the children in Nowhere. We also have Drax calling Ronan there to fight him, (laughs) disregarding the rest of the Guardians. And we have the whole scene with Gomorrah and Quill learning about music and love, maybe.
0: Yeah, and that scene between Gamora and Quill is pretty great with the legend of Kevin Bacon and Footloose.
1: <laughs> so I've never actually seen Footloose, but I know what it's about.
2: Same. Oh.
0: <laughs> I saw a play at my high school about it before I saw the actual movie, but it made me watch the actual movie because I liked it. So yeah, cool. I just know the Footloose song.
2: That's all you need to know.
0: That is all you need to know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Although, to your earlier point, though, about Drax calling the Kree, he did that because he was drunk, didn't he?
1: He did that because he was drunk and angry at the rest of the Guardians, and his entire motivation is, I want to fight Ronan, and since he knew Ronan wanted the contents of the orb, he knew Ronan would come. Sure, he might not have been in the best mindset to do this, but it's totally in his character to do it.
2: Yeah.
0: And this is why I don't like Drax as a character.
2: This one thing
0: he's so dumb he's so dumb you don't do are you kidding (laughs) (laughs) but after
1: that he admits how wrong he was to do that and that ronan was totally out of his league and apologizes and tells them about how he was just so mindlessly dead set on killing ronan that he didn't care about anything this is the dumbest thing he's ever done and it's his the lowest point of his entire life and he regrets it
0: Yes, I know. It doesn't make it any better that he called Ronin directly to the Infinity Stone they're trying to protect from Ronin.
1: <laughs> well, he doesn't care about the Infinity Stone.
0: He had no vested interest in it. Yes, I know. I still don't like Jax.
2: You're allowed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Back on Gamora and Quill's scene, though, we learn some of Gamora's backstory with Thanos because she says that he took her home world, he killed her parents in front of her and tortured her and turned her into a weapon. And that's why she can't stand by as he destroys a whole other planet. And this is all we hear about Gamora's people, which is why I never realized that she was the last survivor of her race because he took her home world. Sounds like he conquered it, not that he destroyed everybody on it.
1: Yeah, it wasn't made clear.
0: Well, unless you paused earlier in the movie and saw that little last survivor of this menace race.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what I meant was it wasn't blatantly specified yeah. for a casual viewer.
0: Uh, and I also <laughs> love the part where Quill, like, makes a move and she essentially does a badass move and she's like, no, I will not be one of those wenches who succumb to your pelvic sorcery. <laughs> And he's like, no, this is like actual love. (laughs) Yeah, but I really love that line, pelvic sorcery.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I love that scene, though, because it looks like they're about to make out and she just completely just turns it around. She's like, no.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Also, to get into another one of our segments of, well, that's a stretch. I don't understand why everyone in space is so confused by the concept of MP3 players and music. Like, Gamora is so confused by the Walkman and dancing and music, and it's odd. So every time any alien is so mystified by Peter Quill's magical device from Earth, I just don't get it. It seems silly to me.
0: Seems silly that other races wouldn't have discovered or liked music. Music seems
1: so fundamental to literally everything that, yes, I think that's a huge stretch.
2: But you say that as an Earthling.
1: How is it fundamental because it's just based on a sense that we have. Life forms will like looking at light. Life forms will like listening to things. Life forms will like tasting interesting things. I think it is inherently weird that apparently no other alien species in Guardians of the Galaxy knows anything about music or cares.
0: I mean, that's how Earthlings are. Other races might not care about interesting musical sounds. I don't know.
1: I feel like I think of like Star Wars and like the Cantina song, like, and any other space themed thing I can think of, like music was something that any aliens would appreciate. And them not caring in this universe just seems weird. And it just seems like it's kind of forced for gags with Peter Quill. And one of the reasons why this is my That's a Stretch is it's really hard to make a That's a Stretch for this movie because everything's so goofy and zany that you can't take it very seriously. So this is the only thing that wigs me out.
0: Yeah.
2: Really? See, that didn't bother me because I can just do it as suspended disbelief where, because like what you were just saying, I feel like that's personifying a very human sort of enjoyment of music and applying it to everything. To me, it would make sense that not all things that happen on Earth are things that other aliens would enjoy. That's a small issue with me where I could just be suspended disbelief.
1: It's a pretty minor thing in my eyes, but if I have to give a that's a stretch... Award to anything. That's what I would give it to in this movie.
2: See, what I would give it to is probably when they actually try to escape from the prison. It just seems way too easy to me that Groot's able to just kind of like get that. I don't remember what the first item he needed was, but it was that battery, I think.
1: Yeah, it was a battery.
2: It seems strange and outlandish to me that a high and a max security prison would have a fundamental piece of their system accessible.
1: That was just a power supply. They just needed it to power the wristband that the guards used that Gamora got. Yes. I don't think it's that weird for them to have like a battery around to power a device in the prison that you have to like reach 20 feet up in the air to get.
2: But if it's enough to sort of like shut down a big chunk of the prison, to me that seems like a pretty crucial design flaw. Like you wouldn't want anything even remotely sensitive to be accessible in sort of like that prison area. It seems like you'd put it in a separate place.
0: I mean, I think that the whole general prison for all these different species is a design flaw in itself, because like you can tell that Groot can do way more just like he's a walking weapon. (laughs) So I, I don't think this place was designed to hold him. No, that's fair. And also,
1: again, it's just a battery. What they really needed was the security clearance from the guard's armband, which it's the guard's fault for losing it. And then Rocket's genius of being able to hack the system once he got into the guard tower.
2: Okay, fine. All right. I yield. I yield.
0: (laughs) Trey, do you have one? I do, and like you, I also had trouble coming up with one because I think it's a pretty well-done movie that you're not really left with a lot of, what? This outlandish thing. But for me, the most off-putting thing in the plot was after the finale when the Xandarians are explaining how Quill is only half-Earthling, which is why he was able to hold the Power Stone, which it provides an explanation, but it just feels off to me and like a stretch. Really? Yeah.
1: Well, they also hint at Yondu originally getting Quill for his dad. So to me, it just seemed like a cool mystery of, oh, his dad is some like crazy powerful alien. Like, who will it be? And we'll find out next time on Guardians of the Galaxy,
0: which we do. And I, I don't know why that just doesn't seem... <laughs> like, pers- <laughs> personally, I really don't
1: like the fact that Aliens in lots of movies can interbreed without any issue, but I just am letting them have it.
0: Yeah, I think the whole half-breed thing is a stretch to me in general. Like, every time they're like, oh, well, the reason you're special is because you're half this other species. I just don't like that as a device. Also because it's completely illogical, but like, being able to breed between two species, but yeah.
1: Well, I don't want to go into Guardians 2, but they do explain it decently well there.
0: Yeah, I'm not talking about this specific case, but in general, that's why I don't like the idea.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel you there. I have to force myself to ignore that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but that's mine. Also, it felt like a convenient... Like, it's from the comics, right? So it's not i think so it's not intentionally a convenient plot device but it feels like a shoehorned in as a convenient plot device for why he was able to hold this thing
1: i mean every protagonist in the marvel universe has some reason for being extraordinary and this is just his Gamora was modified quill is half alien iron man uses a suit captain america has a drug hulk had a drug thor is a god that's just his thing
0: yeah but i think that the way the movie is set up it doesn't seem like he has a thing until the very end when they're like by the way the reason you could hold this is that you're special that's a good way to put it yeah he seems like more like iron man before that where it's like he cre- well he didn't create but Man iron- like he
1: uses gadgets and cool stuff
0: yeah like that's his thing anyways back to nowhere <laughs> <laughs> back to nowhere
1: yeah so i mean we get the whole scene with the collector and we see that he's a dick and he gives a explanation for all the infinity stones and we have the pink servant try to grab the power stone and everything explodes which is a good way to just see what happens if anyone not powerful enough touches it and it's a good way to not end the movie with them delivering the power stone to the collector and being like cool we got our money bye everyone It's a way to, like, keep them all together and become friends.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I did want to talk a little bit about his explanation of Infinity Stones, though, since this is the first time that we learn what they are.
1: Thor the Dark World kind of went into it also, with the Reality Gem and the Dark Elves.
0: I don't remember what they said about it. I don't think they explained it as much as they did here, though. Yeah. But he describes them as six singularities that existed before creation itself. And then the universe exploded into existence and the remnants of these systems were forged into concentrated ingots called infinity stones. Which this... I had to Google what singularity means. It's like a black hole. Yeah, that's pretty much what I got. Something like a black hole. (laughs) So I guess these were like black holes that when the universe exploded, they condensed into gems with power?
1: Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. The entire concept of a black hole condensing doesn't make sense since, okay, for a little physics lesson, a black hole isn't actually the thing sucking in everything. A black hole is just like the event horizon, which is the area outside of a singularity where light can't escape. So that sphere around the singularity is a black hole because you can't see anything out of it because light can't escape. So the singularity is just a single point. There is no volume, just one point inside of a black hole. But anyways, it's just weird that they're singularities because they clearly have volume and they also haven't condensed. I'm just going to assume it's kind of like Thor's hammer where their magic material just get over it.
2: Suspended disbelief.
1: Yeah. If Thor's (laughs) hammer was really like forged by like metal dense enough that it was in a star, it would like weigh as much as a mountain and destroy everything. And by destroy everything, I mean like fall through a planet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And this is also the first time we see how powerful an Infinity Stone can actually be. Like, it can be used to destroy an entire planet, which...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, 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 well. We see how powerful it can be because this is the power gem. We've seen the Tesseract open portals, which is a reality-breaking super crazy power also. It just doesn't seem as powerful in comparison. Because it isn't the raw power gem.
2: Yeah. Is that just a trope in sci-fi? Because that's in Star Wars, too. It's sort of like this massive power that can destroy a planet.
1: I mean, once you go planet scale, you destroy planets. Yeah. (laughs) It's in Dragon Ball Z, too. Like, I don't know. (laughs) It's in everything.
2: Yeah, but I find it a little cliche.
1: I mean, it's like if you have sci-fi mediums based around our technology now, they'll, like, nuke an entire city. If you have sci-fi mediums about space, they'll destroy entire planets you're Gurren in. you can throw galaxies because who cares? Like, you work with the scale you have.
2: That's fair. I just, just something to note.
1: No, no, no. It's, it's a worthwhile point for sure. And it's cool that this is the first Marvel movie that gets to that point.
0: Yeah, and I know what you're saying, Henry, about like teleportation also being powerful and stuff. It's just, it doesn't seem that powerful in comparison to, oh, this stone can destroy an entire frigging planet.
1: Yeah, although teleportation could destroy a planet, but I'm not going to go into the physics of that right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's also interesting looking back that I didn't know that this was a Marvel movie. And like a lot of people that I talked to after I got into Marvel were like, really? Guardians of the Galaxy is part of that? Because it's like straight up the explanation and first instance of an Infinity Stone that's so tied into the actual overall arch. But it's like, oh, it is a Marvel (laughs) movie. I don't know. Well...
1: Yeah, and that's what's really cool about Marvel movies, because that's why it's a cinematic universe, not a series of sequels and, like, spinoffs or whatever you want to call it, like Star Wars. Well, Star Wars kind of is a universe now. Because the movies are totally distinct until they're not. Although nowadays in Phase 3, all the movies are super interconnected. It's just cool that the movies function independently very well.
0: Yeah. It's also interesting, though, just because this movie... Gives you all the information you need for Infinity War, and I don't think the rest do.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, Thanos is a space villain using space items. And although we get slowly introduced to all the Infinity Stones on a lot of the Earth movies, this is the first one that really focuses on it as one of many Infinity Stones, rather than a MacGuffin of power for just this one movie. Yeah. It really puts it into context.
0: But anyways... We have the big fight with Ronin, which every single time I've watched this movie, I've zoned out with the Ronin and Drax scenes, to be honest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The whole time, Drax is just wanting Ronin to acknowledge what he had done to him. And Ronin just like, oh, yeah, you were just like an ant I crushed. I don't care about you
0: at all. I know. It's heartbreaking. Every time it happens, I'm like, wait, it was suggested that he killed him. But the last thing I remember is them fighting. And then I had to rewind like three times to figure out why Drax (laughs) was still alive.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Good guy Groot, saving the day.
0: Yeah. But we also get Nebula blowing up Gamora's ship and blasting her into space and getting the Infinity Stone for Ronin while Quill has to be a hero and leave his pod and put his mask on her, essentially putting himself at risk slash sacrificing himself, even though he paved a way for him to not die, potentially.
2: Yeah, Yeah, this irritates me. Why? Why? Number one, it just seems unrealistic that they would, A, survive this, but B, it's also like the damsel in distress. Even if she's like a badass strong woman, like Gamora, it's just sort of like the man has to come in and save her, which is fine sometimes. It's just like, I feel like it happens a lot in Marvel, including with Black Widow at times, and it's just like, motherfucker like come on
1: (laughs) this is definitely true and this is why we wanted to have you on board because we definitely (laughs) wanted to have the female perspective instead of just two dudes talking
0: (laughs) yeah and i felt the same way
1: but to be fair we don't know about gamora's species if she's more capable of surviving space longer because clearly she did survive and if her modifications changed that any further
0: yeah, I'm also confused of if this is supposed to be the same thing as if someone's just in normal space, because in normal movies, it looks way different than what's happening to them. And, like, people die, like, right away, and I'm like, what is happening? Is this the same?
1: A lot of normal movies do a bad job of showing what vacuums actually do to people.
2: Yeah, I think in space, it actually takes you, like, three to five minutes to actually die.
1: It's something like that. Yeah, you can survive longer than you think. Okay. If I remember correctly, how they made it look, like, with his eyes getting really bloodshot and stuff, is accurate, but I don't remember.
0: I mean, they show, like, crystallizing of the skin and weird things that only have I've seen in this movie.
1: <laughs> Basically, all, like, the gases get sucked out of your body and, like, the water from your blood also, I think. I don't know.
0: Yeah, this is another thing that I was like, they say that he'll die in seconds, but he's not... But it's another thing that you can attribute to his alien heritage, which is why they survived, because she's not human and he is half alien, which, yeah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd.
2: And then Yondu arriving in the nick of time.
1: Well, Yondu was there. He also knew where they were. He found out from the broker that they were going to the collector, and then Quill was just hoping he was actually there. Actually, I think they mentioned Yondu arriving beforehand. Yeah, Yondu showed up. Yeah, so he did know that Yondu was there, but it was not a given that Yondu would be able to save him in time. But that part's not the best, but for the rest of the fight, it's really cool. The graphics are really well done. I do like how it shows how creative the crew can be, and I also like how it shows how powerful Ronin is. How Ronin just entirely outclasses Drax.
2: Poor Drax.
1: Drax now learned his lesson and has found friends. But yeah, after that, we move on to Yondu's ship. Rocket, Groot, and Drax catch up after their little gag about the bomb. And we have the Guardians finally deciding to give a shit for once. And this scene's really funny, but it's also like really dark because Rocket's like, you're asking us to die. And slowly all of them accept that they're willing to go on a suicide mission together, essentially, because they view each other as friends and they want to save people
0: they don't want to save people they want to save the galaxy because they're the guardians of the galaxy <laughs> or because they're idiots <laughs> who live in it
1: true <laughs> and especially gamora i really like that she talks about how she's lived her life surrounded by enemies and she'd be honored to die by her friends and again rocket making gags throughout all of this and them joking about percents it's kind of silly but it's really dark and touching and i like this scene a lot
2: it's very noble of them yeah
1: yeah
0: Also, just, like, side note, I feel like I have this notion that Quill and Gamora get together in this movie, and it's not until the second one came out that I realized they didn't. (laughs) 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 They do get closer.
2: Yeah, they almost kiss a few times. Yeah,
0: and I'm like, oh, they're not together after this. Oh, oh, okay.
2: (laughs) No, they just tease you with it, this movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was like Iron Man 1 with Tony Stark and Pepper. I always forget that they didn't get together in that movie.
0: Yeah, they actually don't get together in that movie. But this one always leaves me with the impression that they're together now, and I don't know why. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we also see Ronan betraying Thanos because he finds out that the orb contains an Infinity Stone. And he says that he'll destroy Xander and then come for Thanos. Xandar. What did I say? Xander. Oh, (laughs)
2: <laughs> channeling some Buffy there.
0: That happens a lot. Half the time I try to say, half the time I try to say Bucky, I say Buffy.
2: <laughs> yeah, this was a dumb move, by the way. What Ronan deciding to make this move? If you know, I'm just going to accept what the movie tells us that Thanos is the most powerful being in the universe, and Ronan decides that now that he has an Infinity Stone, he can take him on. Just seems, I don't know.
1: Again, we haven't seen an Infinity War yet, but he has one of the most powerful items in existence. It's like he suddenly has this epically huge nuke that he can use. I think it's kind of reasonable to think that he could defeat Thanos. But
2: theoretically, if Thanos is the one that had the intel about where to access this Infinity Stone in the first place, theoretically, he has intel about the other ones as well. So Ronan has no idea whether or not he has others. It just seems like a pretty risky, dumb move to piss off this big, powerful guy. Like, why would he announce that?
0: I was questioning that, too. I mean, Thanos did have others. He had the Mind Stone, at least, which he gave to Loki and lost. Yeah. (laughs) But because Ronan has the Power Gem, which is the powerhouse of the stones, I think it might be feasible that he could still beat him. Because he's like, I have all the power.
2: But does Ronan know that's what it is?
0: I think so. Yeah, probably. It's also a problem of not knowing Thanos' power scale, so we don't actually know how much stronger than ronin he was (laughs) yeah however
1: this is a planet destroying tool yeah so it's likely that it would have been enough to defeat thanos without a gem also he's a crazy homicidal maniac who just wants to destroy all the planets controlled by the nova empire or
0: whatever you know what i just realized yes they just called thanos the most powerful being in the universe but they also talk about celestial beings. So does that make Thanos a celestial being? Or does that mean he's more powerful than celestial beings?
1: This goes in the comic stuff that I don't know about very well. I know he's like considered a Titan, which I think is kind of like how the Greek gods had gods and then the Titans. So he's like, they had celestials and then Titans. So he's not a celestial, but he's just the strongest mortal. But also not everyone knows about everyone ever. So it's possible that they just don't know of anyone stronger. He just might have a powerful name for himself i feel weird that i keep mentioning dragon ball but like frieza was known as the most powerful person in the galaxy but boo was many 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 leagues stronger than him i feel like it's kind of that kind of situation because just no one knew who boo was but everyone knew frieza as the galaxy's tyrant who controls everything
0: this allegory is going over both of our heads but sure (laughs) (laughs) some people will get it I want them to give us all of this information, Henry. I just want to see the Celestials. We might have already gotten the information <laughs> when everyone listens to this. I know. I'm just... I, I hope so. I want everything. I want to know. Give it to me.
1: I know. This is a good way to hype up the movie, though. I'm getting more excited about Infinity War now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> We get the Xandar.
0: Yeah, I really like how when they're gearing up for the finale, they have this like superhero pose that's a parody of like normal poses (laughs) it's like they're all walking and rocket's grabbing his crotch and quills wiping his nose and gamora's yawning and it's just it's just (laughs) a great like parody of normal superhero movies
1: yeah which is just really fitting for this ragtag group they're not ordinary heroes but they are our guardians of the galaxy.
2: Like misfits, kind of. Yeah,
1: they are misfits. Yeah,
0: misfit superheroes. I think that's why people love them.
1: Going on a suicide mission. It's almost like you can call them a suicide squad. No. No. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha <laughs> 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 Jokes about bad movies. Anyways. <laughs> after their epic poses, we get to Xandar for the epic battle as Ronin And his Dark Aster ship slowly descends upon Xandar to use the Power Stone to wipe them all out. Which, I'm kind of surprised that he stays in the Dark Aster the whole time instead of just taking a small ship and just, like, zooming down and destroying it. But I guess he wants it to be all cool and epic, like how at the end he makes a whole speech before he attempts to destroy them. But anyways, we get so much cool action in this scene. We have all the Ravagers attacking Ronin. We have the Nova Corps making a giant blockade of their ships. And for whatever reason, I just really love that blockade. It just seems amazing. It just seems like such cool sci-fi tech.
0: It is really cool how each ship like, fits into the electric network that turns it into this force field. Yeah. We also have Yondu on the surface using his arrow to drive it through (sighs) everyone around him. And a ship. Yeah. And take out an entire field of opponents, which was
2: freaking epic. (laughs) Yeah, I love that scene.
0: His whistle
1: weapon is so cool and so unique and clever and interesting. And I love it so much. Yeah. And it works with his personality so well. Just like, he's really sinister sometimes, but he's also just like having fun. And I just, it works. It works so well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we also get, like, the scene between Nebula and Gamora, and Gamora wins and tries to save Nebula, but Nebula, instead of being saved, chops off her hand and jumps onto a ship and flies away, essentially.
2: Epic.
1: Yeah. And we also have the rest of the Guardians, aside from Rocket, battling in the ship once they invade it, including our gentle giant who also stabs, like, ten people in a row and bangs them around, and it's crazy and then he turns around and smiles and you're like oh Groot Uh, I don't know how I feel about this it was awesome but it's terrifying
0: yeah and I think they do a good job of hyping up the power scale of Ronin as the bad guy too because they shoot him with like a freaking rocket launcher type thing and it like doesn't do anything
1: yeah that hydron bomb thing I don't remember exactly what it was called
0: yeah and he just survives But Rocket crashes into their ship to save them, and essentially Groot has to sacrifice himself by surrounding all of them and crashing to Earth. We are Groot. What a touching growth to his uh, vocabulary. It
1: really is, though. Like, this whole movie does such a good job of having things that are kind of funny and silly, but they're really touching. Yep. (laughs) Like, Rocket's just crying and desperate in this scene.
2: And especially because I feel like, you know, that's a whole group of misfit heroes, but arguably Groot is probably the biggest misfit because he doesn't really speak very much. All you really hear about him is through Rocket interpreting for him. And then you see him be the one to make this ultimate sacrifice and really save the day. And it is really heartwarming.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm also kind of confused why Rocket can understand him and others can't if he is meaning things, if Quill has a universal translator and stuff.
2: That is an excellent point.
1: I was just going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. There's also an interesting thing that I learned about the comics where the reason why Thor can understand and speak English is because he's actually speaking and understanding all tongue, which is just Asgardians, or at least Thor, is like kind of speaking all languages at all times so that everyone can understand what he's saying. So Thor might be able to understand Groot, which we might learn about in Infinity War once we see it.
0: Maybe, but if a translator can't understand him, I don't really know why... I don't know why that's a thing. <laughs> I don't know. It's just an
1: interesting topic that people have brought up before. But yes, we land on the surface, which was Ronan's aim the whole time, even though his ship crashed. And we have the whole scene where Ronin's about to destroy everything and
0: Quill just distracts him by dancing. Okay. Pausing on that, though, Ronan's speech to the people of Xandar says, Behold, your guardians of the galaxy. What fruit have they wrought? When he's saying this, is he talking about Nova like, as the Guardians of the Galaxy? Is that who he was intending? Like, he's destroyed them all?
1: I think he's specifying the Guardians now. Because he doesn't say the Nova has fallen. He says, these are your Guardians, like, all these people, like, laying about in pain. And they look like they failed.
0: Okay, so you think he was actually addressing them? Because I was thinking that he might have been like, behold, your Guardians of the Galaxy, like, what the Nova is supposed to be. And they're like... They, like, usurp the term as, like, we are the Guardians of the Galaxy, bitch. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so they just take his mocking thing as their actual title then.
1: Yeah, and then after Quill distracts him, Rocket shoots the power gem out of his hammer, and Quill grabs it, and then the rest of the living Guardians, because Groot is currently dead, grab on to Quill, and they overpower and explode Ronin, which... I feel so weird about this scene because I feel like I shouldn't like it because they don't actually fight the villain. They just take his item and then he goes boom. But it's cool and I like it.
2: I am confused why Peter grabbing the stone and then grabbing hold of everyone else doesn't kill everyone else. Like Even if Peter theoretically is strong enough to withstand it because he's half alien, even if the others touched him theoretically, wouldn't they have died?
1: It's like how Ronan was able to hold it, like powerful beings can hold it. And there's like a capacity of how much a single person can handle. And let's just say Quill was handling 60%, Gamora another 10, Drax another 10, Rocket another 20, because clearly he's the next strongest.
2: But at first, wasn't Gamora (laughs) the one that first grabbed his hand? So at first, it's sort of like split evenly. I would have thought even for a second, that would have been too much for her.
0: I don't know if it's split evenly or not. Even the servant girl of the collector could hold it for a few seconds. So I think the idea is that like she took it and it was like they're both barely containing the power. Like they might die at any second, but each time one of them grabs on, it's like they're now splitting it more and more between them so they can handle
1: it. And it stabilized once it was all four of them.
0: Yeah, and all right. this is actually my um worst repeat offender.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how we were going to get into that one. Because this movie is so new for the most part.
0: Yeah, and it's not even a worse repeat offender for Marvel. It's just a repeat offender for cliches in movies. For (laughs) always being like, oh, the like, see how with teamwork we can overcome anything. And it's like the power between all of us. We can conquer the galaxy together. Like, you know what I mean? Friendship (laughs) conquers all. Like, that cliche. Yeah, for sure. And I almost didn't put it because I'm like, there's not really any repeat offenders, but... This was another thing. It's similar to That's a Stretch that, like, I did find it slightly off-putting in the movie. I'm like, this is the most cliche thing in the movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I can go into mine, which is, worst repeat offender, just Ronan's really boring. He's not nearly as bad as whatever the Dark Elf leader was, who I can't even remember his name. But it's not nearly as bad in this movie because the Guardians are commanding the screen time so much that... Ronan's just there to like give them plot and not really there to be a cool interesting villain and i find nebula to be the cool
0: interesting villain
1: but i wish it was better
0: yeah that was my second choice but i don't think it's actually a flaw of the movie because i think this movie was executed perfectly even though the villain was as shallow as he was because that's all he needed to be to make this movie be as good as it was if that makes sense I think trying to give him more of a backstory probably would have inflated the movie too much. I
1: agree. I don't think this was a big issue, but if I have to give worst repeat offender to anything, that's what it
0: is. Fair enough. Erin, what about you?
2: Mine is what I mentioned earlier about the damsel in distress trope. I just... Ah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, it's great. I'm glad we're starting to see stronger women in movies, especially, you know, main character strong female roles. But it just always seems that they somehow throw it in there where one of the male heroes has to kind of save the female. And it's usually someone with like a romantic interest. Not always. It's not necessary for the plot. I understand every now and then. But like taken as a whole, it's just like an annoying common plot pattern that I don't know why it still needs to be in so many movies.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially because in the fight on Nowhere, we have two guardians being saved. We have Gamora being saved by Peter and we have... Drax being saved by Groot and Gamora being saved by Peter it's this huge deal and it takes up a lot of screen time and it's really damsel Drax is pulled out by Groot you don't know how much time has passed and you don't really talk about it
0: and to add on to that it kind of bothers me how every single time there is a woman in a group they have to make her a love interest for someone it happens with Black Widow it happens with Gamora and those are the only two women we have so far <laughs>
1: And every other woman was basically a love interest, except for, like, very minor ones like Maria Hill. Yeah.
2: And Nebula, who is the villain. Yeah. Semi-villain.
1: Well, she's definitely a villain in this movie.
2: (laughs) I mean, she's not the main one, though.
1: Overall, she's an anti-hero, but she is, like, on the bad side in this movie. She's not as great yet.
0: Yeah. And I would love if we could just have female superheroes being one of the team and... Like, not being a love interest to one of the other heroes. Like, I get that it adds drama and stuff, but they could just have, like, a husband back home, like all the men do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and that makes me think of, I don't remember her name, but the other badass warrior from Thor. What was her name? Sif. Yeah, the one he's not interested in? Ugh, idiot. She's gorgeous and badass. I want to see more of her.
1: Lady Sif is the best, and I just want her and more.
0: Yeah, and that was a huge flaw of her character too, because they reduced her to, instead of having her just be a strong female warrior, she had to be in love with Thor, even though that never went anywhere. Yeah. It's even a
1: problem in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where she cameos and her plots revolve around love interest stuff again. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's really annoying. I know. She's so
2: cool. (laughs) So that's my answer.
1: That's a good one for sure.
0: Yeah, I really hope that's something they fix starting with Captain Marvel. I don't know if it is, though, since there's going to be Marvel in that movie. Hopefully, he'll die. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But yes, the final fight is over. Rocket and Drax have a little moment with Rocket crying over Groot, and Drax pets him. And it's cute and sad. And I just want everyone to be happy. Though, the little remnant of Groot that Rocket collected grows up into its own little Groot, which we see in one of the after credit scenes.
0: Yeah, which apparently is, like, Groot's son instead of just Groot himself, which I never knew until James Gunn tweeted it recently. Like, that's not Groot. Groot's dead. That's his, like, son. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, I was unclear about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why he tweeted it out, because people were unclear, so he... Specified.
0: Which at first I was like, that seems like bad writing that we don't know that. But in this movie, since the actual sun is like barely part of it, I don't think it could have been specified here. But it could have been better specified in the second one, which we haven't gotten to.
1: Agreed. So, anyways, we get to all the wrapping up of the movie. We have Yondu with an orb containing no power stone, even though he thought he was. And once he figures it out, he just smiles because. He doesn't care as much that Quill did that rascally little thing.
0: It's always struck me as kind of odd. Like, it's charming. I like it that he's like, oh, that pesky Quill. I'm just going to smile that he swindled me. But at the same time, he's now out 400 billion units and his team is going to backlash against that and he's going to have to kill Quill again. So I'm a little confused why he's just like, oh, smile. <laughs> I'm happy that I got swindled. Because that's his boy.
2: Yeah, I was going to say maybe that's like his father's pride, something like that.
0: Yeah, it just seems a little weird.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we also find out that the Nova Corps is now going to protect the Power Stone on Xandar and that the Nova Corps has rebuilt Peter Quill's ship for the Guardians of the Galaxy, which honestly, one of my potential items for that to stretch is how the hell did Peter Quill's item survive the crash? Like his present from his mom with Awesome Mix 2 survived, crashing inside of the Dark Aster.
2: (laughs) Maybe he had it on him? He
1: always saved it in there, and then they put it back in there for him.
2: Oh.
0: I honestly didn't really notice how much damage there was to his ship, so I don't know if that's a stretch.
1: That's a good point. But I would assume it's a lot. (laughs) But they did survive the crash, even though they were only being protected by a sphere of wood. Yeah. Which is also ridiculous, but whatever. That's movie logic.
0: And their ship was surrounded by another ship, so it could have not had that much damage.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, it's really adorable when Star-Lord opens the letter that he clearly had read before, how his mom says, you're the light of my life, my little Star-Lord,
0: which is really cute because now you know why he has the silly name. Yeah. Something I wanted to mention as well was that Drax says that Ronan was only a puppet and it's really Thanos that I need to kill. Gamora was like,
1: oh shit, I just wanted to go away from
0: Thanos, why? <laughs> <laughs> Please, let me be free. <laughs> yeah, though I was also questioning it, like, because that would mean that Ronan was doing Thanos' bidding long before this power gem thing. Possibly.
1: That was a bit confusing.
0: Yeah, because I thought that it was just this, but now it seems like, huh, now I'm not sure.
1: Maybe that's information that'll be covered in Captain Marvel. Anyways, the after credit scenes that I already kind of hinted at, we have dancing baby Groot, who is hiding from Drax for some reason. See, Groot likes music and dancing. It's not just humans.
2: Yeah, but that was because he was listening to Peter's music, not because it's always, like, I don't know, existed.
1: Touché. But still, (laughs) it's a natural biological thing that he does as an infant.
2: I think you're saying that through your lens as an earthling. but Whatever.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and the other after credit scene is really funny because it's the last one before Avengers Two, and I don't really remember what I was expecting to see, but I guess I was expecting to see something epic setting up Avengers Two this grand movie, but instead, we got Howard the Duck, which is just this like
0: super trolley character. I mean, we already got a setup of Avengers Two at the end of Winter Soldier, so. Yeah, but maybe it could have been another one. But just the fact that it was Howard the
1: Duck, this, like, joke of a character who's just, like, known to be an asshole, as the after credit scene instead, I think worked surprisingly well.
0: Yeah, and it made everyone super interested in Howard the Duck, which was a movie that flopped in the 80s or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Um, Yeah. And yeah, so I guess that's the end of the movie. So instead of Character of the Week, where we choose who's your favorite side character or anyone other than the main character and the main villain, since we're having a team up movie, we're going to say who's our favorite member of the team. So, Aaron, want to lead us off?
2: Yes. I was having a tough time deciding between Drax and Groot. I feel like Groot is sort of like the go-to answer, since he's sort of the gentle giant and he does save the day. But I just find Drax's dry humor so hilarious. So I would probably go with Groot, but I really enjoy Drax, and he makes the movie for me.
1: I feel like we have to acknowledge the nothing goes over my head, I would catch it
2: (laughs) joke, since we didn't
1: talk about that earlier, and it's
2: amazing. It was excellent. He steals that guy's favorite knife.
0: How dare he? Okay, I cannot believe that Drax made it to the top of your list. I did not know.
2: (laughs) That's just because you're a Drax hater, Trey. Yeah,
0: I had no idea. Drax hater, boo! Okay, I had no idea you liked him that much. Damn, okay.
2: I had forgotten until I started rewatching, and I was like, God, he's so funny.
0: (laughs) To some people, apparently. Um... (laughs) Well, hater, who's your favorite? I'm going to give it to Gamora. Since she's cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Great explanation there. I can feel all of that passion behind your decision.
0: I think Quill pretty much owns most of the movie since he's the main character. But I do find it hard to get past some of the more misogynistic elements. And Gamora, I just love how badass she is. And the fact that we have not really gotten much of that except in the form of Black Widow. So I'm giving it to her.
1: Cool. And I'll round us off with Rocket, because Rocket was the hardest sell for me of a talking raccoon is one of the main characters of this movie. But once I finally saw him, and he's this shit-talking asshole who's a huge egomaniac, but also likes pranking people and just loves guns and going crazy, like, he really surprised me by how much I liked him. So yeah, Rocket.
0: I love how we just went in a full circle with all the characters.
2: We literally, yeah, we literally just picked the whole team.
0: <laughs> I guess we did. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty much a testament to how great the characters are. If each of us can find two of them really like lovable,
1: I only said Rocket, but yeah, they <laughs> they are they're great and their chemistry is great and that is why this movie did so well that's why it's so highly regarded it caught people off guard in a great way and these characters are great
0: and now it's time for our segment on not a great plan where we discuss was the villain's plan good
1: yeah and the villain's plan this time is kind of weird because he was a subordinate to thanos and his plan was oh i'm just picking up this orb for thanos and then he's gonna help me destroy this planet and then he discovers he has access to the power gem and he's like I'll just destroy
0: them myself. Yeah, I mean, it's literally the most simple villain plan ever. It's get stoned, destroy world.
2: <laughs> he started off with bigotry, and then it turned to bloodthirst.
1: Yay. It was bigotry and bloodthirst through and through.
2: <laughs> but then it turned to more of a power grab.
1: Yeah. Anyways, so Aaron, you expressed doubt about Ronan going rogue and destroying Xandar himself at the power gem, but... I personally think the plan's fine because he had a goal and then he went for it. He had an item that was capable of doing it and he did. It was boring, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> what about you
2: guys? That's fair. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, but I guess my thought is if Thanos is described as the most powerful being in the universe, even if you get an Infinity Stone, you probably wouldn't want to go up against him.
0: I guess I wasn't even considering that as part of his actual plan. I was just thinking about like... Get stone, destroy planet as his plan. (laughs) Yeah, and it
1: wasn't his original plan. That's fair. But yeah, but Aaron, you're right. Like it was a really risky thing to do that, but maybe it wasn't because he's like, hey, well, I'm already right at Xandar. I might as well destroy it. And if Thanos comes after me later, I could give it back or run.
2: (laughs) It just seems silly to announce it and put a target on his back rather than just to run.
0: He also flat out said, and after I destroy Xandar, I'm coming for you, Thanos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think it was a good plan. It was simple enough. Get a really powerful stone and destroy a planet. The end. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I guess it's time to rate the movie. And since we haven't explained our rating system in a while, I thought I would jump into that. So we use a letter score where we go F, D, C, B, A, A plus, because it's hard to specify things sometimes. And then S for super perfect. So F, This movie is really bad. D. This movie is bad. It's not okay, but... uh, C. It's okay. It's fine. Whatever. B. It's a good, solid film. A. It is a great movie. A+. It's an amazing movie. Just shy of perfect. And S. Perfection. Movies can't get better than this. It's possible it has, like, one flaw or so. But, like, it's just fantastic.
0: I have a feeling we're all going to give it the same rating.
1: Well, Trey, start us off, then.
0: I'm going to give it an S. It was pretty much as good as it could be, I think. Aaron.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to decide between an A-plus and an S because I feel like giving any movie an S feels... perfection is almost hard to achieve. But I honestly am probably leaning more towards an S. So yeah, I'm going to give it an S.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way, leaning between A-plus and S. And for me, the characters are fantastic. The setting is super well done. The comedy is spot on. And the thing that really makes it or breaks it between an A plus and an S is how much did I like the plot? Like, was the plot actually satisfying to watch? And it really was. So yeah, I'm going to give it an S also.
0: For a second there, I was worried you were going to give it an A plus and I was going to be like, I'm pretty sure you like this movie more than me. So that would be awkward. (laughs)
1: I feel weird throwing out that rating too much.
0: You've only given it to Winter Soldier and Iron Man. Yeah, it's
1: our highest tier. So the reason why I'm nervous about it is because I feel like Winter Soldier is better than Guardians of the Galaxy, but they're also very different, but they're also both great. So I love both movies. So it's just since there's a movie that I feel like is better, I always feel weird about it. But yeah, it's still an S in my book.
0: Yeah, because I feel like if you have a comedy type movie... It can be perfectly executed and still not as good as this other one. Yeah. That's also perfectly executed. So I think that's fine.
1: Yes. Well, anyways, I guess that's the end of our episode. Erin, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, even though I'm not really, you know, guest star. I'm not really star part.
1: You are our guest star.
0: Do not sell yourself short.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Trey, where can they find us? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MarvelousMCU. You can find us on Instagram at Podcast, And you can send us an email at MarvelousMCUPodcast at gmail.com.
1: And wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it's iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, if you like, rate, comment, subscribe, anything you can do to help share the podcast is a huge help.
0: If you like our podcast and would like to support us, we also have a Patreon account, which we would greatly appreciate any donations as we are currently paying out of pocket for this. And we will be starting to do Patreon exclusives soon with Deadpool 2. So if you want to listen to that or support us, please
1: donate. Even as much as a dollar is really appreciated.
0: So thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll tune in next time for the first arc. Of Season Two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Episodes One through Ten.